Well, we've come to the end of our Advent series titled Prepare Him Room, and, and the prayer, of course, has been that we would do just that in the midst of our busy lives, in the midst of the things that cause us great anxiety, that we would be, as we remember these Old Testament prophecies concerning the birth of Christ, that we would be preparing Him room in our hearts and in our minds and in the ways in which we go about our very lives. Uh, so three weeks ago, we looked at Isaiah chapter 9 and that great picture, that great promise, that prophecy concerning who Jesus is, that He is our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In Isaiah 7, two weeks ago, we saw that Jesus is our Emmanuel, God with us. Last week, we looked at Micah 5 and saw that Jesus is our Shepherd King. And so we had those pictures in those first three prophecies of Jesus and His identity, who He is. And and we get a picture here in Isaiah chapter 42 concerning His identity, but we even more importantly and more fully in Isaiah 42 get a picture of His mission, what it is that Jesus came to do. So remember the context for Isaiah. Isaiah is writing to people who in a, a number of years will be captive in Babylon. And God knows that His people, when that time comes, will lose hope. They will begin to doubt whether God will fulfill His purpose in the world. Whether He will deliver His people. Whether He will keep His promises that He had made as far back as His promise to Abraham. And so, God, through Isaiah, tells them what they will need to hear before they even know that they need to hear it. I will come for you. I will rescue you. I will deliver you. Don't lose heart. And, and, and um, when we looked at our series on uh, anxiety a few weeks ago, a number of weeks ago now, uh, we looked at Isaiah and we saw how, how God, through Isaiah, was providing comfort to His people before they even realized they would need His comfort. And we see something like that here in Isaiah 42 as well. And we can resonate with that. Now, they were a people who didn't even realize what was coming down the road. We are a people who, in many ways, individually and certainly as a nation in the world, are in the midst of very trying times. It may be possible or, or maybe even probable that you're losing hope right now and wondering if God will keep His promise to be with His people. Or, or it may be that that things are coming for us in ways that we don't anticipate, just like the people of Israel and Judah in Isaiah's day. I heard last night that there's a new strain of coronavirus you know, ravaging through England, 70% more contagious than what we're experiencing right now. I, I hope that the vaccine is effective for that. I hope that God protects uh, people from that virulent strain. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that is just one more example of how we just don't know what's coming. We do know that we have a sovereign God. We do know we have a God who keeps His promises. But none of us can really predict the future and how good or how bad things are going to get. And so we hold fast to God's Word. We hold fast to God's promises. And we do that throughout Scripture, especially in places that we might not think normally to go. Places like Isaiah chapter 42. A passage that points us to this king who will be a servant, a servant of the Lord, a servant who has come to serve people, to rescue people who look to Him and Him alone for help. Isaiah in Isaiah 42 shows us how the servant's identity and mission 
will lead to liberation and hope for all who look to Him in faith. That's what we're going to see in Isaiah 42. So we'll consider that under the following three headings. First, the servant's identity and mission. We'll look at that. Second, we'll ask, how does he fulfill it? Because Isaiah 42 tells us in part how the servant king will fulfill his mission. And then third, what does it mean for us? So first, the identity and mission of the servant. Second, how he fulfills his mission. And then third, what it means for us. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask now that as we come before your word and uh, that you would help us to, to open our hearts and our minds to it, that you would help us to receive that which is true, and that you would increase our faith, O oh God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, the servant's identity. Take a look at verse 1. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. All right, so let's stop there. This is the first of four servant songs in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 through Isaiah 55 is called the the book of the servant because there's references to this servant all throughout those 15 chapters. In Isaiah 42, for the first time here, in Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50, and Isaiah 52.13 through 53.12, you get four what are called songs, four ways in which Isaiah especially points to this servant of the Lord. And so the first one is, is right here in Isaiah 42. He is, God is saying, my servant. He is also the one whom God says his soul delights in verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. It also says in that third line of verse 1, I have put my spirit upon him. So whoever this servant is, he's especially anointed by God. The spirit of God rests upon him. He is the one in whom God delights. He is the one whom he has called to serve him. Now where do we where do we see this? Well, we see this at the baptism of Jesus. In Mark chapter 1 verse 11, You find there, let me read it for us. Mark 1, verse, I'm going to read 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. There's the anointing of the Spirit. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son. That is directly from Psalm chapter 2, Psalm 2 pointing to this king, the one who will rule in the name of the Lord. And then the second part of that passage there at the end of verse 11, with you I am well pleased, which is directly from Isaiah chapter 42. Who is the servant? It's Jesus. Jesus is our servant king. That's his identity. What then does Isaiah tell us about his mission? Well, Isaiah gives us a picture of his mission in this passage. First, he shows us how the, the servant king brings restoration to the world. Restoration. So let's take a look at verse 1 again. Last line of verse 1, he will bring forth justice to the nations. And then jump down and look at the third line of verse 3. He will faithfully bring forth 
justice. Now, when we think of that word justice, we tend to think of what could be called retributive justice. So bringing justice in the sense of calling those who are in the wrong to account and requiring them to pay the price or whatever it may be for their, their violation, you know, their sin or their wrongdoing, whatever it may be. That's not the sense of the word here. This word here points not so much to retributive justice as it does to restorative justice. It's interesting, in Exodus 26, verse 30, you see the same word for justice used to describe, of all things, the plan for the building of the tabernacle. So the tabernacle was God's home, if you will, on earth. It was God's blueprint then, the word describing the tabernacle, was God's blueprint for His plan on earth. What, what, what Isaiah is saying here when he speaks of justice is that the servant king is going to restore God's blueprint for humanity. In other words, the way in which God intended things to be at the beginning will be restored. Now that that Hebrew word, we've talked about it a number of times over the last few weeks, that Hebrew word to describe God's blueprint, the way God created things to be, is the Hebrew word shalom, which, which of course, you know, you may know means peace, but not peace in the sense of absence of conflict. It means peace in the sense of wholeness or the right ordering of all things. All things being in right relationship to all other things. That is the way that God created things to be. Adam and Eve were in right relationship with God. They were in right relationship with one another. They were in right relationship to the earth that God had created and called them to you know, be co-vice regents over. And they were in right relationship within themselves. They had no desire to hide from God and to cover themselves up. They were in right relationship. There was harmony in God's creation. His blueprint was in effect, and then sin entered the world, and God's perfect wholeness, His his right ordering of all things was destroyed. And what Isaiah is telling us here is that the servant king is going to come and, if you will, restore God's original blueprint for creation. He will set all things right. The servant will bring God's shalom. He'll bring restoration. Secondly, the servant king will bring revelation. Take a look at verse 6. Last line of verse 6. The servant king will be a light for the nations. Isaiah wrote to a people in deep darkness. We saw that back in Isaiah chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Isaiah 9 tells us that they were in darkness because they had turned away from God. In fact, you go back to the end of Isaiah chapter 8 to see that. They were people who were no longer looking to God for light. They were instead looking to the things of this earth. They were looking to you know, soothsayers. They were looking to uh, mediums. They were looking to their own knowledge in order to best get an idea of how to live. And they were consequently walking in darkness. And so you move over into Isaiah 9, and, and Isaiah says, they've seen a great light. Those dwelling in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. 
Here in Isaiah 42, we find out who is the one who brings that light. It is the servant king. The servant king will bring restoration, Isaiah 42 tells us. He will bring revelation, Isaiah 42 tells us. And then Isaiah tells us he will bring reconciliation. And you see that in the word covenant. So third line of verse 6, I will give you as a covenant for the people. What a beautifully loaded theological term. We don't have time to unpack it in all its fullness. But what Isaiah is pointing to here is what the whole Bible says about the way in which God pledged Himself to His people in covenant relationship with them. I will be your God. You will be my people. It's like the back or the spine of the Bible that holds the whole Bible together. And for this servant to be given as a covenant for the people is a way of saying that it will be in this servant that people will have a right relationship with God. The covenant promises, the covenant blessings of God for those who keep covenant will be found in the servant king who is a covenant for his people. The curses of the covenant, the the curses of God, the wrath that God pours out on those who fail to keep covenant, that will be poured out on this covenant mediator as well. This servant king will be given as a covenant for the people. So the servant king will bring God's restoration, will bring revelation, And we'll bring reconciliation. And we see all those things in Jesus. Jesus tells us in Revelation 25, Jesus is the one spoken of when we hear, Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus brings restoration. Jesus brings the revelation of God. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world, Jesus said. And Jesus is the one who brings reconciliation when He said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the servant who brings restoration, revelation, and reconciliation. Jesus is our servant king. So there's his identity and his mission. Isaiah also tells us in part how he'll fulfill his mission. So take a look at verse 2. Verse 2 says... He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Remember, this servant is the king from Psalm 2. He is, from Isaiah 9, the one who is mighty God, wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace. All of these speaking to this figure who will arrive on the scene in history, who will be mighty, who will be powerful, who will be the ruler over all. And yet, how does he come? If you were a king today, you would need at least a couple things in order to have this kind of impact on a global scale. You'd need to have a zealous and you know, large following. And you would need to control the narrative. And that doesn't happen here. Whenever Jesus began to get a large following, He would go to the mountains and pray. Because He knew what was in the heart of man. He knew that they wanted Him to be their warrior, to drive out the Romans and restore the kingdom to Israel. And, 
And that's not why the Messiah came. And he did not come to cry aloud in the street and drown out the voices of everyone else around him. He wasn't planning to start his own news channel. He was one, Isaiah said, who would not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. The very things that kings would need to do in order to have a global impact and rule, Jesus was not at all about doing. He came in meekness. I love the way Tim Keller put it. He'll get the results of a king without the methods of a king. So the servant king will accomplish his mission unexpectedly, in an unexpected way. His kingdom will be like a mustard seed that will grow over time. But then secondly, we read that he will accomplish his mission gently. Take a look at verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. The, the force of that word bruised goes beyond the way that we t- tend to think. We tend to think of a bruise as a surface contusion. This is pointing to a deep contusion, to deep, we would say, you know, internal bruising. Maybe an organ that's been affected in some way, a vital organ that has been bruised. So bruised is more powerful here than we tend to think. A bruised reed would speak to a reed that's like, you know, broken. It's not going to bear fruit. There's not going to be any grain that grows on this because it's broken. He gives us this picture of a faintly burning wick, which you can picture a, a candle that's about to be extinguished, that's about to go out. And what Isaiah tells us is that the servant king is going to deal gently with people like that. He's not going to look for the strongest and the brightest to be his followers, to be the ones who represent him in the world, to be the ones whom he sees as integral to the advance of the good news of the kingdom. It's going to be people like this. It's going to be people who are wounded in ways that others can't see. It's going to be people who are broken in ways that can be seen. It's going to be people who are feeling as though they are near the end, or perhaps are near the end. These are the people whom this servant king is pleased to know and welcomes into his fold. Jesus is a king who will fulfill the mission unexpectedly and gently, but then in the strength of the Lord. He does so in the strength of the Lord. Look at verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold. And then in verse 6, second line of verse 6, I will take you by the hand and keep you. And so consequently back up in verse 4, he, that is the servant, will not grow faint or be discouraged. The word discouraged there is the same word that's translated bruised in the verse right before it. He will not grow faint or be bruised till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. In other words, he will experience the very things that we experience, and yet in the strength of the Lord, he will not be overcome. He will fulfill his mission. Third, finally, what does this mean for us? What does it mean for us that the servant king, the one who is both God's own son, 
and the one who has come to save mankind, to give his life, not to, uh, to, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ran- as a ransom for many. What does this mean for us? Well, we get a picture here in Isaiah chapter 42 of the liberation that this servant king brings to all who hope in him. Look at verse 7. End of verse 6, I give you as a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in deep darkness. This is a picture of captivity. This isn't simply a picture of someone who doesn't have enough knowledge. This is a picture of being captive, if you will, to the darkness, of being unable to break free from the chains that hold you. This is liberation that King Jesus brings. We see that so clearly in places like Luke chapter 4. The, the, the beginning of the fulfillment of this liberation from captivity in Isaiah's day would come when these people were released from captivity and in Babylon and be able to go home to Judah. That was the, that was the front end of the mountain range that we've talked about that Isaiah could see of course, once you get into a mountain range, you realize there's depth, so too with the fulfillment of these prophecies. And so the final fulfillment of this one who would bring light and who would bring release of captives is seen in Jesus. You read about that in Isaiah chapter 4. Isaiah chapter 4, we read this. Jesus says, in the <laughs> picking up the scroll in the synagogue from Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is why in Matthew chapter 2, Matthew will take this passage that we've been looking at this morning from Isaiah chapter 42 and write sandwiched between the Lord Jesus healing a man with a withered hand And then liberating a man who was demon-possessed, Matthew quotes Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory and in his name the Gentiles will hope. He liberates captives. Do you feel captive this morning? Maybe to recurring sin patterns in your life. Am I ever going to change? Is there ever going to be a break with this? Is God ever going to deliver me? Jesus came to bring liberation for those who are in captive. Are you in captive to are you captive to anxieties and fears? This morning? Are you captive to a body that is wasting away? Jesus comes to bring liberation. Jesus brings liberation. Second, Jesus consequently is our hope. Jesus is our hope. Look at verse 4. Third line of, of verse 4. Well, let's read all of verse 4. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Coastlands. That was a way of describing the whole world. 
Whenever you, whenever you read the word coastlands in the Old Testament, it's referring to all the people that have surrounded the Mediterranean Sea that they, that they knew of. It's a way of referring to the whole world. This servant king is going to come and bring liberation, bring, bring salvation to the whole world. It reminds me of my favorite Christmas carol, Joy to the World. Right? I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to read it. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive its king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let all their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. I love that line. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love. Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 42, they all point us to Christmas, don't they? Isaiah 42, 9, let's wrap it up here. Last verse uh, that we're looking at for this morning, Isaiah 42, verse 9, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. The former things that Isaiah was referring to for the people then was the Babylonian captivity that was yet to come. The new things that are being declared would be the advent of the servant king, his coming into the world that we celebrate at Christmas. The former things for us the things having to do with our captivity to sin, the things having to do with, with our suffering and our hardship and the, the seasons in which it feels as if we have no hope and King Jesus will never return. These things too shall come to pass because there will be a second advent. Jesus Christ will return. And all that once bound us, including death itself, if we have died by that day, will be loosed and we will be free. Our former things will pass away as well. Isaiah 42 begins with the word behold. The fourth servant song, Isaiah 42, I'm sorry, Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12, also begins, behold, look, see, do you see this? It's a command that really requires a response. It calls for a response. In Isaiah 42, Isaiah says, look, behold, this is the servant's mission. This is what he's going to do. He's going to bring restoration. He's going to be revelation of God to the people. He's going to bring reconciliation between God and man. Do you see this? And then the last servant song tells us how he will accomplish his mission. Behold, he will be crushed for our iniquity. Behold, the punishment that brings us peace will be upon him. He will accomplish his mission through suffering. He is the suffering servant of the Lord. It's by his wounds that we are healed. Isaiah is saying in 42, 
And Isaiah is saying in 52 and 53, do you see this? And how will you respond? You see, these prophecies don't just point us to Christmas. They call for a response of faith. So if you're here this morning, if you're watching right now, as someone who has known Christ for many years, behold, do you remember these things? Have you made room for this Savior today? And if you're here this morning, if you're watching on the live stream right now, and you've never put your trust in these things, behold, do you see, this is good news. This king, this servant king, has come to lay down his life for you. Will you put your hope in him and in him alone? Jesus is the servant king. He came to bring restoration of all things. He came as the revelation of God. He came to bring reconciliation between God and man. This is the meaning of Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we approach the day in which we celebrate the birth of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Oh Lord, would you enable our hearts to sing? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.